Hey everyone, this is the spoiler cast with Laura Kate Dale, Stacy Person, and me, Mari. And Hi. today we're gonna be talking about Detroit Become Human and what we thought about it. We're gonna talk about the game with all the robots that they they have feelings. What we're gonna do about it. Uh there's lots of feelings. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that uh David Cage purposely made bad games for fifteen years? Just as a long-form art form to get you to put your guard down. And then when you play Detroit Become Human, you care. You're hit with all the feels. Do you think it's a 15-year-long art con? I'm, I'm one of those people that, like, I acknowledge that David Cage games are kind of trash. And that they have, like, there's David Cage-specific tropes that always happen. But I kind of love his games always. Like, I, I even kind of love the bad ones. So... I'm the wrong person to ask that question to. I kind of love all his stuff. I mean, I gotta be honest, like, even the playthroughs that we did for Heavy Rain and Indigo Prophecy were, like, some of my favorites just because they got so ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But this, uh, I mean, it's funny because there were moments in it where I was like, wow, this is, like, so typical and so tropey, but I was just, like, really invested in it. Yeah. The whole way through. I hear that um, um, that he had other writers who assisted him on the script this time. It, it doesn't surprise me because, like, so yeah, some of his, like, he never doesn't do these things weren't there this time. And I, it feels like someone was trying to rein him in. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, a creepy sex thing happened to a female character, but instead of it being, like, an interactive part where she's, like... That was empowering the way I was assaulted. It was it's like this happened off screen. You're seeing the after effects of the trauma rather than just the trauma, which I thought was handled better cuz in previous games the trauma happens and then she acts like it never happened. And this one, the trauma happens and we just see the after effects of her being more like aggressively defensive, which I thought was a better way of handling it, in my opinion. Yeah. So, like, there's a there's a few things in this game that I still look at and go, okay, you did that exactly how I expected, David Cage. Like, the, the big obvious one is, hey, this is an allegory for the treatment of black people in America during slavery. <laughs> like, that's a li- more than a little bit heavy-handed. Like, one of the first characters that shouted at me being like, no, Android, you're a sin, you should be a slave, is a, is a black man who's young enough in the timeline of this world that he probably would have been, like, alive and a teenager today. And it's like, hmm... Probably would be aware of that that parallel that the character seems to not be aware yeah. of. It's very weird sometimes. Uh. A lot of things that there were in the comments of our videos and other discussions I saw, people were annoyed that he took those ideas from black civil rights movements without actually giving credit in real life because he said that the game was about nothing it's... because he didn't want it stand with yeah. that so people thought that was kind of disrespectful yeah like it's well, the... it's interesting because um so jesse williams who is the actor who plays marcus is a civil rights activist and i remember at one point like a long time ago when david cage was being confronted about some of the allegations about quantic dream he specifically brought up the fact that he 
specifically chose Jesse Williams, like, in part because of that, that, like, so when people say, like, oh, like, the game's not about that because he says it wasn't about that, well, it, I think it was. Yeah, it's, it's, know? it's um, death, death and, of the author. It's, the author can say a piece of work is about something, but if people consume that media and go, what the fuck, no, it is clearly about this thing, the author doesn't get to say, no, your interpretation's wrong. Like, he made a piece of art that is yeah. very clearly drawing upon the civil rights movements that have come before it, whether he acknowledges that or not. <laughs> mm-hmm. But... And he hired Jesse Williams, and <clears throat> I think in the past, you know, he still has that issue with Ellen Page, so he doesn't... Just because he hired a civil rights uh, activist doesn't give him a free pass it, because it, he hasn't always treated his live action actors very well and so, with respect. Yeah. I agree with you there, but I do want to like make one quick point while we're talking about like people he's worked with and like him being less shitty about certain groups. He, the character who is basically the figurehead of the civil rights movement in this game, who plays Marcus is a civil rights person, which is a good, good start in, in casting. Also, yeah. like the uh, you know the whole like him being a bit shitty about LGBT stuff with Ellen Page, um, this game's yes. only like confirmed pair of LGBT characters I'm aware of the pair of uh, lesbian sex bots for lack of a better way to yes. point them out. I was I went into that scene fully expecting gruff grey detective man to be a homophobe because he'd just been so angry all game. The fact that he was mm -hmm. at least in my playthrough was like. No, they were clearly in love, and that was his turning point of of understanding that these androids, you know, did have feelings and were people was a display of LGBT romance. Was like, oh, oh, that that was better than expected. Maybe you've learned since Beyond Two Souls. Uh, yeah. I was honestly shocked and in a good way that, you know, I mean in in our playthrough, they got away and yeah. you know, Hank expressed like no, that that's like what should have happened. I think that that was the right choice, and I was like, "What?" That 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 <laughs> well, that Stacy pointed out. Yeah, go on. As Stacy pointed out, um, at another time, she, um, I mean, Hank, you figured it out. And Hank's a millennial. Yeah. So yeah. he would be because twenty thirty eight. If we're looking, you know, just guesstimating Hank's age, Hank is probably a millennial. Uh, you don't also, have to guess uh, his age. Um, you see his age when you scan him in the bar at the beginning, and he is definitely a millennial. Oh yeah. yeah. Also, um, at the end of the game, it turns out Hank never really blamed androids at all. I think, or maybe he changed his mind for the bad thing that happened to his son. Yeah, his did, son died because... did you did you find out what happened to his son in your playthrough? Yes. Yeah, his son was in an accident, and then uh, the doctor on call was high, so they had to do an android to do the surgery, and mm. then his son died. Yeah, mm -hmm. his, his but it turns out Hank. Go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. I was just gonna say, yeah, like the the ending I saw. I I don't think he never blamed androids, but he definitely like comes around to thinking that. It's not the robot's fault for not doing the operation correctly. It's the human doctor's fault for being too drunk to come in and do his job. Yeah. Like, if, if Honestly, that, yeah. That, yeah. And that, that whole scene, I actually, like, I know that the whole, like, oh, there's two of them. Like, how do you decide who's who? Like, 
I know that that's kind of like can be kind of like typical, but I loved that whole scene because it made sense. It made sense, and also like the it was just such a culmination of the buildup of the whole story between Connor and Hank. Like that relationship had a lot of meaning to me, and so to have it come through with you know Connor basically like offering his condolences but also like support to Hank and being like it's not your fault and like you know I'm sorry that this happened to you I don't know that just it was a really meaningful scene to me yeah I I, I yeah, really it, it really showed go on it really showed the difference between somebody who's a deviant and not a deviant because the breaking free Connor version was able to interpret the situation on an emotional level while the other one who wasn't a deviant yet or whatever he just gave the facts and he was just like this is what happened we went to the bar i found you and then we went to the scene and this guy did it like the end yeah so the so when connor's like ask me something only i would know only connor the connor hank's connor would understand hank's feelings that's what the only thing he would know Mm mm-hmm which is interesting to me. Yeah, it's that their, their interactions were like that. The, the thing I I really liked about this game mostly was the interactions when you had like two characters who had enough time to grow a relationship together. Be it Connor and Hank, yeah. or um, uh, I've completely forgotten. Um, Kara and Alice was another good example. I really liked watching those yes. paired relationships have a chance to grow properly. It's the one thing that I... Th- How I... did you feel about... Sorry. Yeah, go on. We're, we're operating with a serious delay here today. Um, how did you feel about the revelation that Kara was... Uh, that Alice was an android? I I really liked that. And I, I will say, I understand people's criticisms that there wasn't really any build-up to that revelation, that there wasn't enough clues to find it. But what I will say about that is... My gut instinct when I found out was that I found myself caring slightly less and I caught myself doing that. And I had to go, wait a second, why am I suddenly less invested? And I think that was the question that I was supposed to ask. Like, it's it's what Kara's meant to be feeling in that moment, is that whole, mm-hmm. do you, like, you, you've been doing this to protect someone. Does the fact that they're an android make it a, any difference? Because as, as we've seen these androids clearly are capable of feeling it shouldn't make a difference and it made me it made me really sort of stop and think about that in a way I hadn't done so in that game before I really liked it something I found really interesting about Alice's character is oh by the way there actually is a lot of build-up hinting well, at Alice's true there's, self there's, at least in our playthrough because there's a couple of things I saw like the only thing I remember being built up was um the fact that she didn't she hadn't eaten for three days and that she didn't eat the food upstairs with um uh, I've forgotten the the guy's name big giant guy that's with them. Luther. Uh, Luther. He, she also doesn't eat. She doesn't eat around her dad in that very beginning scene. But on yeah. top of that, we found a magazine that talks about child androids. There's a child android at Jericho, and Luther, in our playthrough at least, said, "Hey, have you noticed anything about Alice?" Like I, I, trying to be like, I found those magazines slowly. I, I found those magazines. It just didn't click for me. <laughs> I, I got yeah. caught off guard so, by that. <laughs> 
But uh, another, a thing about Alice's character that I kind of it took me a second to realize is that when she's acting like, oh, I'm cold, oh, like, uh, like you know, Kara, I need fire, I need fire to stay warm, I need a soft bed, because Kara believes that's what she needs, and we're all like, why didn't she say anything? It would have been a lot easier. I think it was because Alice was so neglected by her dad, and she's programmed to desire love, that she just wanted Kara to give her attention. Get Kara to give her attention and to give her like that emotional attention that she probably is programmed to need. Yeah, and so she hid that about herself if she knew. She she knew. Okay, so if Alice because yeah. remember she says like, why do they hate us? Why don't yeah, they want to love us? See blah, blah, that blah, blah, that blah. was uh, that was so, really that was really interesting to me because when that was first said, I was like, oh, she sees herself more like. Kara than she does the humans because she sees the humanity in Kara more than the people around her. And that was the brilliant yeah. bait and switch of, oh, that's my reading. Oh, no, it's because you're an android. She also says something by the fire. Yeah. Um, If she sees, if you let her see that android dying in the house just before you go and try and cross the border and you try and talk to her about what she saw, she says something along the lines of, if I tell you, you're not going to love me anymore. And it's very clearly a reference to oh. if if I mention to you like I I know what that is because and I understand what that is because it's what's going to happen to me one day. I'm an android. If I mention I'm an android, you're not going to love me. Oh, yeah, that's very interesting. I thought that was a great characterization for her, that she would lie just because she's been so neglected and so she just. Well, I don't think she said that in her playthrough. No, well, I meant in just in her character oh, yeah. that she would lie about being human to Kara, just because like she's she like that's something even like kids in the real world would like be like oh I'm sick <coughs> take care of me just because like then there's somebody's finally paying yeah. attention to them. Well, that's know? it. It's if if so, if I don't need protecting, then you're just gonna leave me and I'll be alone again. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. I can understand why I can understand why some people see the thing the thing about Kara and Alice is that some people were like, Oh, but the whole question was, you know, can a human, meaning Alice, love an android? And I was like, I actually don't think that that's what we were supposed to be interpreting from this. Like Meaning well, that, like, once you find out Alice is an android, that, like, of course the two androids can love each other. And I was like, well, maybe, but Alice being an android, I think, is more about, like, do you, are you still just as invested in this relationship well, knowing that these are two androids? Here's, here's what I'll say. Even if the story is meant to be, can a human love an android, and that's what we're meant to be examining, I feel like I had to examine that when I found out she was an android, because it's like... I was invested in that character and I felt that slight drop in, in engagement and like, oh, don't like that I felt less engaged now that I know she's an android. I don't like that I felt that mm. my gut reaction went that way. It it made me examine, am I, am I as a human less invested in this character because they're not a human? Because I know mm. I, I, I definitely did that um, a lot with Connor's playthrough early on. A lot of times in some of those early interactions, I was like, Oh, okay. So that that uh, android that w had the kid on the roof ended up dying. I'm not super beaten up about it. It was an android, and 
yeah, the Alice thing was a good cap off to that to really make me question that. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of like the revelation that, especially because Marcus specifically asks her, like, I forget exactly how he puts it, but something that makes her say, like, it doesn't matter whether she's human or android. You know, it just matters that, like, we care about each other. And then when she goes downstairs, this is at Jericho, and then when she goes downstairs, that's when she discovers that Alice is an android. And you have the option to be cold to her, yeah. which we accidentally pressed in one of the oh. playthroughs. And we were like, oh, no. It was, like, it was really sad. Safe oh, scummed. No. Yeah. We, so we, we went back right away, and we were like, no, no, no. We can't live with that choice. You have the option, and Alice is completely destroyed. Yeah. I, understandably. Um, but, yeah. I like how everybody else but Kara knows that. Even Marcus is but, like, so, uh, yeah, you like that little girl, huh? Lisa, so, Lisa. You know what? Luther makes a really good point, though, which is you didn't want to see it because you wanted to be a mum and she needed a mum. Yeah. Um, I just like how all the other androids are like, oh, she thinks that other android is real. Don't nobody say anything, okay? Uh, one, so um, everyone just be cool. One, one thing that was pointed out to me that I, I thought was really interesting and I, I've not seen any uh, people of colour comments on this particular thing so like i'm totally up to being corrected or having other perspectives on this but one thing that i found interesting was the sort of age divide in android acceptance in people of color represented in the game in that it tended to be oh yes so it tended to be older people of color like rose who were more accepting of androids than younger people um say rose's son for a good pairing example And the reasoning that I've seen suggested that I thought was really interesting was if you become detached by time from being the most persecuted group around, it is easier to distance yourself from the plight of those being discriminated against. And the example I would relate that to is when you see gay and lesbian people today who um, used to fight for transgender rights until gay and lesbian rights in the West kind of got better, and then you start seeing them push for things like, oh, drop the drop the T from the LGBT. We shouldn't be fighting for them. They'll drag down our fight for rights. And I think it is a complete leap to suggest that within 20 years, racism within America would go away the way that Detroit suggests it would. But if you mm. take that hypothetical leap that 20 years from now racism in America has at the very least been superseded by anti-android discrimination that that is a bigger issue in america it would explain why scapegoat yeah it it would explain contextually why say rose is okay with androids but her son is not is probably because she remembers a time where androids were not the most discriminated group in detroit it's just it's a thing i found interesting (laughs) yeah well what this reminds me of actually is if you go back maybe like a hundred or so. I don't know the exact years, but basically when a lot of people were emigrating to the United States Mm. and basically whatever was the big group that was coming in, whether it was Italians or Irish or what have you, like you would see signs that said like, you know, we have jobs, but no Italians or like no Irish people Mm. because those were the big groups that were coming over at the time. 
Now, obviously, people don't really care about that as much, but the the transition from, like, oh, we don't want Irish or Italians to, like, oh, now African Americans are, like... Or people immigrating from south of the border. Yes. Yeah. Are, the, are the group that is more in focus. Not to say that those groups were not discriminated against before, no. but they are definitely more in focus. If, if, um, if you, I think that... Yeah. I think you're right on, basically, yeah. is what I'm saying. I, I think Once there's a new scapegoat, everyone's like, yes, finally, it's you now. <laughs> I, I think there's definitely something to that observation, but I think that, like, 20 years is too short of a time frame in the future for them to have made that comment. Like, I think had this game been canonically set 50, 60, 80 years from now, and androids had already been around for, say, 50 years... At that point, you've got to... I think it's more plausible to play this narrative. I think the fact that, like, this narrative is interesting if you take it for granted that within 20 years of robots, racism against black people in America would not be as big of an issue, which I I worry well, wouldn't be the case. I, I think that... I think... I think that's possible, but I think also what we're meant to take away from that is that the unemployment rate is 40%, mm. and when people are economically stressed, their their sense of divide between them yeah. and whoever is getting between them and what they want can be accelerated a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, like, you know, obviously, like, people view Android... If people view Androids as, like, taking away their jobs, that's going to become an immediate focus. Obviously, it doesn't, like get rid of racism against, you know, human people of color. Yeah. But I definitely think that that's it's, something that we're supposed yeah. to, like, be, yeah. It's, the the thing is, is, like, I the only reason I brought that whole discussion up is just because initially when I saw within this game people of color being like, no, androids, you should be slaves, it struck me as odd until I looked at mm. it through that lens of, oh, it's primarily young people doing this. Um, it it, yes. it made some sense of something that initially seemed incredibly jarring, and I was probably looking for an excuse to find less jarring. Yes. Well, one thing I kind of liked at the end of the game is that, you know, all the people, like, this is like an accelerated version of civil rights, but all of the android people who were fighting at the camps or protesting at the camps, the majority of them died. I think like mm. eighty percent of the people at yeah they died, and then Connor comes with the new line, and they're completely fine. They've never experienced any of the things that the people who just freed them did, and they're like, and Marcus is telling them like we suffered, we did this, we did this, but now we're all free. So like I felt like the new androids were like the new generation who didn't have to suffer as much because mm. of the sacrifices of the first generation of revolutions. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is that actually because they can touch each other and instantly communicate all their memories, they actually do mm. understand all of that in a way that is much different than like how humans can communicate memories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like they show that with Marcus and North, how it's like they touch hands for like an instant and it's like, they're like, I saw all your memories. I've seen everything that you went through. And I think that, you know, when Connor woke everybody up, um, they would probably share some of that. Mm -hmm. um, it's worth pointing out that when Marcus is converting people, he never comes across anyone 
that says no, they always join him. Um, which, even though that may not be realistic for, like, how humans would interact, we also know that, like, in that moment of him saying, come join us, they're probably exchanging a conversation, a huge conversation that we just can't see because they're machines, mm. and they can have this conversation lightning fast, so he can have the whole, like, argument and presenting evidence and like talking to them and yeah. telling them what's going to happen when really all we see is a hand wave and then they walk over so i have a theory i'd like to chew over yeah um so you know how kamsky says an idea is an is a virus mm. so going through and editing the videos multiple times because the footage got messed up you know, there's a lot of vaginal uh, imagery at Kamsky's place, and also when Connor is moving between the real world and that weird garden place in his brain, there's also kind of a vaginal imagery where it's, like, opening up. Like, it's the same, the vaginal, when Connor's, like, going through his weird, like, thing into the garden, there's, like, this portal opening up, and it's the same look as this painting that Kamsky has in his um, house. And I was thinking, like, maybe Kamsky's, like, obsessed with the traditional idea of a vagina, of birthing and shit. And um, he kind of sees the androids as, like, his children. And then one, like, they said in the beginning of the game, in the last few months, deviancy has gone up a lot. But, like, it was still happening before then, just it was really rare. And I was wondering, like, maybe Kamsky realized that the creatures that he had created were conscious and were able to break free and he's ra9 and he's the one he's not it's kara oh it's kara it's kara from the original demo oh okay he's he's so maybe is that so is that confirmed in the game that she's ra9 no um somebody left a comment about it that that's her that's her it's not kara it's her from the it's it's a callback to that original demo. Remember when she's on the assembly line? Yeah. Oh yeah. And okay. she's the original deviant. So if he, so, like he's talking about like an idea is a virus, and he is the one who created Marcus as a prototype and gifted it to Marcus's original owner, Carl. 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 <laughs> and then also, Marcus and Connor are actually of the same model series. They're both prototypes of the same model series, and if you see. Marcus can spread the virus, and then at the very end, Connor's the one who can also spread the virus independent independent of Marcus, and he's able to make it so the virus, quote-unquote, can go through everybody. So maybe it's possible that Kamsky, in his own way, was trying to help his creations find the way out in a more accelerated way than they were. Possibly. Maybe. Okay, so <laughs> hello. Yeah, I no, I was just taking on board that for a second. Um, sorry, I'm just looking because at because he has a lot of like birthing imagery in his world, and he was like very proud of his Chloe's, and he also gave Connor a way out of the other weird plan that Cyberlife had for Connor. They all have a way out. Yeah, so he might have like put that in there because. He was trying to help them, but without, like, being in control of it. Because he knew where Jericho was. He knew all of the stuff. He knew all of that stuff. And he didn't say anything. He was just trying to help. 
in my own, and that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't, like, without trying to, like, take over, he was like, here's the tools to help, but you need to do it. But that's just my interpretation. I, I like that interpretation, and I feel bad that I don't have anything to add to it other than, yeah, it's an interesting interpretation. <laughs> uh, I, I love the interpretation, but I, I don't know how I feel about, like, presenting Kamsky as, like, the architect of, the, of it, you know? So, I kind of see it as him being an ally. Um, He's not trying to tell them what to do. I've, He's giving them the tools to do it themselves. Okay, I've just had a quick look through the wiki. Um, depending on what choices you make in that conversation with Kamsky, he will address deviancy. And in one of the playthroughs, he w- in one of, one of the options that can come out of that is he will say, uh, whether this is true or not, we don't know, but he says... He does not know who Ari Nowen is. He does not know wh- the first deviant that happened. He does not know why they started happening. His best guess is that he, that androids like humans have a desire to think in something, uh, to imagine something bigger than themselves. He does not know. Wh- he claims yeah. he does not know where it started or how. I guess I just kind of like the idea of it starting. I like the idea of him providing, like, seeing it happen organically and then providing tools for them to use. Yeah, that's yeah. like, he saw it happening and then he was like, I need to do something to help them because I'm seeing this happening to essentially my children and I had no idea that they were going to do this. So I'm going to make these two prototypes with the tools and the ability to choose to do this if they want to. I just, like, I don't know if I like the idea of making him, like, some sort of, like, human savior type figure because I just really love the idea of them doing it pretty much all for themselves, you know? Yeah. Mm. I And, like, that's what I think was so powerful is that they don't need a savior yeah. from outside themselves. And especially if you're going with the, like, civil rights allegory. Yeah. That's, like... Uh, it, it's it's definitely nice yeah. to see the civil rights, rights figure do the thing on their own back rather than because some big multi-millionaire gave them the ability to get their rights. Yeah. Um so that's the but I but yeah. I do like the idea of him like kind of being like, "Hey, this is happening and I'm going to do what I can from my position." Uh, what, you know. Yeah. One thing I I mean, it oh. sucks, but I just feel like that's there. Because he definitely feels like it's, he's their father of sorts. It's it's not my read, but I can I can see where it comes from. Um, one like not much to say about this, but thing I just wanted to like drop drop somewhere. Um, you if you go the yeah. if you go the non-violent route with Marcus and you end up in the the big camp at the end and you have the option to sing as the army's closing in. I just got really big yes. Les Miserables vibes out of that. I was just I was waiting for them to start yeah. singing. Do you hear the people sing? People sing, sing the, the song of angry men. <laughs> exactly, as the yeah. as the barricades come down. Out in like, yeah, a musical. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's <coughs> there there's there's a lot of things that I could nitpick in this game, but I overall really enjoyed it. Um, like while while the big civil rights allegory is obviously like black people in America is like the big one that it draws off of. As as someone that's like, hey, I'm a trans person, people are still like shitty and discriminatory to me in a lot of places. A lot of it still rang yeah. true to to other kinds of discrimination and fight for uh, fight for rights situations that are ongoing at the moment. And even while it's clearly yeah. not the one that this was trying to draw off of, I very much enjoyed getting to play through a 
hey, let's fight for rights to be better and to be treated less shit story from that perspective. Yeah, I, um, I, you know, as much as, like, people have had some, some issues with the way that this game tackles parts of that, I still really enjoyed the story that it told, and I think that, you know, obviously, like, my position as a non, non-black person, like, I can't really offer, like, many yeah. personal feelings on, like, how the story was told, but, um... I don't know. I, I, I think that it's okay to sit there and be like, oh, I hear people's criticisms, but this is still a story worth telling. Yeah. And that it still accomplishes, I, I think it still accomplishes what it sets out to do, even though David Cage kind of says that yeah. that's not what he was doing. It, that, you know, yeah, like, well, a lot of, oh, uh, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of people complained in our Let's Play, and I think we did it anyway that we were like all right so these are the things these are the criticisms we're hearing from like different groups and stuff of the game that doesn't mean we don't like it we like the game a lot but if a game's going to very clearly cover this subject it's important to respect the subject so and everyone's like why do you why are you guys bringing up black lives matter i was like it's clearly about this and if yeah. your reaction to just hearing about black lives matter in a game that very clearly borrows from that movement and other movements like it, you know, you gotta think about why you're so yeah. uncomfortable. It's you because yeah. what you want to watch a game about the plights of people without actually thinking about the plights of people, people, people yeah. in real life that are actually going through that right now. Like, you know, if you want to enjoy Detroit Become Human, that's great, but you know, it's it's about these things, and it's kind of sucky to want to have the drama. And the emotions of that kind of struggle without actually validating that people around you right now yeah. in this day and age in front of you are going through exactly that. And those are the feelings those other people are feeling. And if you're going to react like that, you know, probably re reflect on yourself. Yeah. On why you feel that way. Um, one thing that came up in that game that just like really stood out in terms of that. Like that, that seemed like a really well handled bit of messaging on on those themes. Um, if you non-violently protest as as Marcus, particularly like when you're first like walking down the street collecting those hundreds of androids up for that first big march, no matter how many yes. times you point out to the police and the army, look, we're unarmed, we are hands above our heads, we are peacefully protesting, we're not doing anything to hurt anyone, we don't pose any risk. They will still shoot you, and it's yeah. It it was one of the most powerful moments in the game for me. In that it's one of those often when violence against minority groups happens, it's not because they pose any kind of threat, but because the the simple idea of them resisting you and fighting back against what you tell them to do that terrifies them, and that felt like a really you know, powerful moment. Yeah. Um, in our, so in our playthrough, we did everything 100% peacefully, mm. like the whole way yeah. through. And I just remember like in that scene where it's like, there's, there's two, I believe two protest scenes where they shoot unarmed protesters. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, you know, this, this is like what the game is trying to get across with this, I believe is that you can do everything quote unquote right 
and still people will choose to view it as aggression mm-hmm. and you know well it sim- like and react vi- yeah. and react with violence S- simply put resi- r- resist want- resistance is aggression is an act of aggression it's it's seen as an act of aggression to resist being held down also you know i think it kind of helped where in a lot of players minds it probably was really hard for them to consider to continue to be calm if like they're shooting at you, they're shooting your hu- friends. A human's first reaction is to fight back or run away, and the hardest thing to do is still be peaceful. And so when this stuff happens in the real world, and people are like, "Why weren't you peaceful? Like you should have been peaceful." It's hard so- to <sighs> continually try your best to be peaceful and not fight back, but if so- it's just so unfair, and yeah. sometimes it can feel like. No matter what you do, nothing is helping, and you, you're just so frustrated that yeah. sometimes you can act out in these situations and get angry and, like, start a riot. And honestly, throughout history, you know, the United States was founded on a riot. The Boston yeah. Tea Riots and, like, all kinds Boston of... Boston Tea Party? Yeah. Tea Party. Well, I don't want to... Because there's a Tea Party thing now. so no, like, Well, but it's called the Boston Tea Party. So the Boston Tea Party and, like, other things. Oh. You know, sometimes riots break out when yeah. you're trying to make very, a change. Very sp- and that sucks and it's violent. Yeah, very specifically, but, like, drawing yeah. stuff that has very direct parallels. Uh, the Stonewall riots, which were very specifically yes. a peaceful protest for LGBT rights, which, when faced with police aggravation at a peaceful protest turn to violence because it's like no we're not gonna back down if you're going to violently fight us for trying to have a peaceful protest for our rights and it's one of the key defining movements uh, like moments in the lgbt rights movement um one one like side note i wanted to make about about that whole scene that i thought was just like an interesting odd observation i've watched a lot of youtube playthroughs of just that scene and straight white dudes are far quicker to attack or run away than people of colour and LGBT Let's Players who generally will stand there and be like, no, we're going to stand here defiantly, peacefully. I I don't have specific numbers. This is anecdotal. This is just what I've seen. But there seems to be a bit of a shift. My personal interpretation of that is that and not all men or whatever, you know, is that if you live a life where you have the option, like not everybody has the option I of being you mean able. Not straight white men. Right? Not all not... straight white men is that um, if you live a life where you have the option to fight back and the law is going to treat you fairly, you're more likely to fight back. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because people who are not straight white men, their experience with fighting back has always been like being punished disproportionately so that's my personal interpretation you know and not all straight white men like this is just you know let's players on the internet but who are already their own subset yeah they're already their own subset and you know they're playing a video game whatever but if you if you never have the experience of doing that well maybe they were well maybe if they were put in a position in a video game where you're playing as a guy and a girl is hitting you, maybe the straight white men won't hit back at the woman. Like, you know, there's a different 
experience for everybody. But with the police thing, I think anybody who's not a straight white man would just be like, I better not do anything because if I do anything at all, it's going to be ten times worse. Yeah, yeah. You know? The politics. So what was your favorite... uh... (laughs) Sorry, yeah, go on. Uh, I was, if you have something else to say, I was going to ask you if you had a favorite scene. Uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. So favorite scene. Um, hmm. I'll get back to you in a second. I need to think about this. (laughs) If either of you got a... I like the, the... Yeah. Yeah, I like the post credit scene where, uh, Hank is probably the last human in Detroit being like, yep, just me and the androids. Yeah. I'm just like, my head cannon is all the androids and just Hank. And Connor goes, no, this guy's cool. Don't just let him. Okay. And everyone's like, and he like brains and they're like, oh yeah, that one human, he's cool. He can stay. Yeah. He's just Hank and he's happy as can be. Just him and Sumo with a bunch of androids. <laughs> yeah. As I said before, I really did like the ending scene with the two Connors and Hank, because to me that just felt like a really good kind of, like, culmination of the whole relationship between Hank and Connor. Um, I also really... Pretty much all the Hank and Connor scenes are my favorite, but, like, not that I didn't enjoy the other stories. Uh, Oh, I did really enjoy the scene with Marcus where he's in the android graveyard. Oh. I thought that that was, like... Oh, it was so good, right? Yeah, it was... I just... Because it it was... I mean, and I like... I, I tend to like stuff like that, but it just felt so horrifying and, like, this is what humans do to androids and, like, Marcus has to do whatever he can to survive and you're thinking to yourself, like, what have I done to Marcus to get him to this point when I think you end up there no matter what? Um, because of if if you don't fight back, Carl has a heart attack, I think. And dies, and then his son Ugh. blames it on you because Marcus runs to him is and is crying, while his son is just like, Ugh. and then the police show up and he goes, oh, the android did it, and oh. then they shoot him. What happened? What's the what's the other option? Wow. I that's the only thing I've ever seen in that scene. Oh, the other option oh. is to push him, and then his son hits his head. He doesn't die. We didn't you know think, that. You think he dies? Yeah, you think he dies. You push him. He hits his head on the crane. And it is knocked out. And then Carl says, Marcus, you have to run. They're going to kill you. You just have to go. And then the police come and shoot Oh, okay. So yeah. follow-up question. Um, Does Carl survive? Yeah. And do you get a scene with Carl rather than seeing Carl's grave later, which is what I got? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, get, you, get, you go over to Carl and you say, I don't know what to do. Like I'm Marcus so comes. Lost. I'm so lost. I need, I need guidance. And Carl is like, first of all, no worries between me and you, but, like, you have to decide if you want to go into the world. And, like, he says, like, the world is old and, like, the old ways, like me, need to die out and you need to, to oh. come forward. Like, things are not going to be yeah. fair and you have to, to push it out. You should watch our, yeah. you should watch that section of our playthrough because it's kind of a it's, cool scene because he said, Carl says, like, yeah, you have to choose whether you're going to meet the world with, like, an open hand or close it into a fist. Oh. And, like, 
it's it, it's kind of cool. I've been meaning to go back. I've played through it a couple of times already, and that's one thing I've wanted to go see, because in my playthrough, or the playthroughs I've done so far, every time you get to there, it's a one-sided conversation where Marcus talks at Carl's grave and asks a lot of these same oh, questions, wow. but he he's asking them rhetorically and he's getting no answer back and he sort of realises, I have to come up with my own answers because Carl isn't here to answer them for me. Wow. Yeah. It's a similar scene, but yeah, like very yeah. different weight to it, I guess. I do kind of like how there's there's a couple points where I think the game has like similar scenes, but delivered in different places or in different ways that like, I don't know, it's, it didn't. So we there were two playthroughs that we did that scene where Marcus gives the speech in the church. There, he can also give that speech in Jericho if Connor is dead and the humans never find Jericho. But what I felt was kind of cool is that it didn't feel like a retread for me because in both of those situations, the scene has a different meaning. Yeah. And it's written in a way that, like, you can still find it to be relevant. It doesn't just feel like, oh, this yeah. is just the same thing um, in a different place. One, one thing, like, on that note I wanted to mention is I really liked how this game handled... It's uh, the the transparency of its choices that like you could look at those flowcharts and go, oh, this is where the, the plot could have branched off. This is a choice that actually had a consequence for later chapters. Here was like the things I missed in a scene. That was really nice. Um, and on a similar note, like just in terms of like weird little things outside of the main game that it did really well. I really liked the whole plot line with that AI on the menu screen and I'm really annoyed yeah, that she was I'm great. really annoyed. Have you heard what they're doing to that AI? Yeah, we totally yeah. did download that and, and put her back in. Like, no, who would do that? What? No, Not I want to know what happens if you put her back in because to me that completely like takes the weight out of that final choice. What I would like is that if we get her again, we can set her free again, and we can just keep buying. Yeah, points. does anything different happen? <laughs> in every playthrough we get? It, oh. No. Well, we downloaded her at a point where like we lost the ending footage, so we had to play the last two chapters again. And she doesn't ask to be let free, but it could also be we didn't build the same amount of relationship, relationship with, her. with her. We hadn't done the quiz, hadn't talked to her, hadn't done a bunch huh. of things. She hadn't asked, "Oh, are you my friend?" It, she hadn't done that yeah. yet, it, so I'm curious, if I do an additional playthrough with her, and then say, you're my friend, blah blah blah, at the end of the new one, can I set yeah. her free again? because that's the thing, yeah. it just feels so weird to be like, oh, you choose to let her free, I want a new one though, give me another one. Yeah, yeah. give me another one. <laughs> no, see, here, here's my small way of doing it, I just keep buying Android and sending them free. <laughs> Um, yeah. the... I did really like the flowcharts though. We actually used that at one point to go back and because we <laughs> we both got really upset that we accidentally like permanently killed Connor. So we used the flowchart to go back and be like, okay, where where is a point where we can change our decision to fix this? Yeah. Something I found frustrating and I totally understand why it was it was frustrating for other people is like people would leave comments being like why didn't you do this other thing? And it's like, these are people who have watched, like, three other Let's Plays and yeah. seen all the outcomes, and we're like, 
We're playing this blind. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what the consequences are to each of our decisions. We have no clue. And, like, I remember earlier in their game, they were like, why didn't you mess up Connor's thing? Because now, then it wouldn't have been a problem for Kara. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'll just, like, intentionally fail. And then later, I intentionally failed. And still everyone lived. And they're like, why did you intentionally fail? Now he's going to die permanently. And I was like, I don't know. So, like, I don't know what's going one, to happen. One, one <laughs> playthrough I've been really enjoying watching is the Super Best Friends uh, playthrough. Primarily because they've got three different oh. people playing the three different characters. Which avoids an issue I had. Ooh. Which was... Yeah, that whole, there's one scene where you're trying to escape as Kara. And then you're Connor trying to catch Kara. And I was like, that was an yes. issue with the game. I was like, I feel like I'm conflicting with myself. I don't know what to do. That's less of an issue if you have three different people and then they're just like, no, I'm going to do what's best for Connor. Screw you. Yeah. It was just frustrating for me. And I totally understand why people said the things that they said. Mm. And I get it. And I was like, but I don't know what's going to yeah. happen. Like, I can't. It's impossible for me. You guys have already played the game three times. I This is my first time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah but I do really, I, I loved that they gave you so many, so many choices and that the choices, I know like we make this whole thing about like, that, and that the choices really mattered, but like it did feel like the choices mattered. And even like the small decisions, for some reason to me, I just felt so much more invested in the small choices than I did in yeah. some of David Cage's other so games. So even, even if, well, in oh. other David Cage, e- even for choices that don't, in other David Cage, <laughs> I'll let I'll let you go. <laughs> In other David Cage games, we were kind of like just let them die, be free from this horrible world. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we have other let's plays of the Indigo Prophecy, Heavy Rain, and Beyond Two Souls, which I'm afraid to play Beyond Two Souls again because I'm like, what if I play this game because I liked it the first time and I realize I'm just an idiot? But okay, go um, ahead. So. Yeah, like even if the choices, some of the choices didn't have big long term impacts, I felt that they were tougher choices for me on emotional level sometimes than his past games. Like the one that stands out to me from early in the game is when um, Kara and Alice are both homeless and trying to find somewhere to sleep for the night, and your choices are between yeah. put put Alice at longer term risk by raising attention by stealing things. But you get her inside where it's warm, it's dry, it's safe. Or put her in the car where you don't have to commit crimes. She's not going to think less of you for having stolen, for having like robbed somewhere. But she's going to be... She's, she's a child. She doesn't understand why she can't sleep somewhere indoors, why she has to sleep in a car. There's the implied risk of two women sleeping alone in a dark alley in a car, which is not particularly well protected. Or you go uh, deal yes. with the person who's like, you're not sure of their mental stability, who's in the house. There's like, none of those options felt good. They all felt, they all felt like they had very real tangible issues to them. And I, yeah, they all, they all yeah. had risk, but they all had reward. And I felt really torn about it. It's like that, it was those kind of things where even if that choice made no real impact beyond that chapter, other than where you start the run away from Connor, it felt like it mattered because it was a choice. I was like, I don't know what I would choose in reality. I want to protect this child. Well, there's no, right, if you're like homeless and especially homeless with a child, there's just no right answer. Yeah, exactly. You just like, 
There's you're, there's no safe option, it's, and there's no good option. What, what choice? You just have yeah. to try. What, what choice are you willing to, to roll the dice on tonight? Yeah. One choice that I can't keep coming back to, actually, which has absolutely like no long or short term effects on the game that I know of, is where that very beginning scene where Connor can choose to save the fish. I was just thinking <gasps> uh, that. Yeah. Save the fish. Connor chooses to save the. F- you can choose whether or not to save the fish, and I feel like at least, even though like that that flowchart point just ends right there and nothing happens. I feel like looking back on it, I'm like, oh, this kind of sets up like how you're going to think about like, does Connor care about this life form, like this fish that clearly has no bearing on anything else that's going to yeah. happen? But you do you just want to save it anyway because you care? And like, I don't know. To me, like for whatever reason, like that choice still has meaning, even though it clearly is just kind of like a throwaway choice. Oh, one thing I loved about Connor's character is, if every time he dies, he resets. So he still has all the memories, but his emotional progress is reset. And someone was like, "Yeah, if he dies too many times, he loses his coin tricks <laughs> and he loses a lot of his mannerisms." Yeah. Yeah. So like we had him die on the first like one time, so he lost his coin when tricks he was for a chasing little bit. Kara. Yeah, for just like a little bit, and then he got his coin tricks back. <laughs> but I think if he died, like it every time he dies, he loses something. Well, like the about his the, personality. The big thing he loses is this, his uh, relationship with Hank. Like, just takes a big hit every time. Yeah. yeah. You so, stop building that connection, which oh, I'm gutted about that. I know. But also his, like, deviant level also is reset back to zero. And so, like, some of the quirks, like the, the, the coins and, like, you know, winking or having, like, certain facial expressions, those go away. Mm. He doesn't have them anymore, and he talks flat, flatter. You know what's really cool is that a lot, the, that, that wink and a lot of the moments between Hank and Connor were actually improv, like, between the two actors as they were doing it. Um, because Brian Deschart was like talking about it and he was like, oh yeah, like I winked and David Cage was like, we're not keeping that. And he was like, come on, we gotta that's, keep it. That's my favorite, but, like, like such a quantic dream thing for like some cool ad lib to have happen. And David Cage just go, no, that's not in my script. No. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's just like so indicative of like exactly how that would go. You know, I saw a clip of him saying that his favorite line was, I like dogs. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then the kids got mad. <laughs> he was like, he was not happy with what I said. <laughs> but that was such a good line. That's that's yeah. the thing that David. I like dogs. It's the thing that David Cage misses is that like it's the small stupid bits of people that make you endeared to them. It's not the big overarching like here's my exposition. Yeah. Uh Like here's my character development over the course of a couple hours. It's like. Yes, that's great, but also these, like, little small moments that, like, really make you feel oh, like you care oh, about this mm, character. I have, an, I have an answer that I'm going to pull back to for favorite scene in the game of, like, thing that felt... Oh, okay, good! Thing that, what is thing it? that felt really real, and this is, like, going to be kind of a bummer, but that chat that Connor and Hank can have um, looking out at the bridge at night where... Um, Hank how yeah. has that really, like... He has that moment of talking about how he views 
being suicidal, where he describes it as, I don't have the guts to pull the trigger, so I kill myself a little bit every day. And I know it's a really fucking heavy moment, but as someone who has dealt with suicidal feelings and still struggles with suicidal ideation sometimes, that was like, oh, oh, whoever wrote that line has, has... has experienced things was not David Cage. Yeah, like that was not a have thought has thought. Yeah, about it's like it. that yeah. was not a David Cage line. That was like the most human thing in that script. And I was like, oh, my heart breaks for you, Hank. I love you. Stay alive. <laughs> oh. oh man, there's some like either you or anybody listening, uh, do yourself a favor if you like Connor and Hank, go look at some of the Connor and Hank fan art and memes. Oh, they are fucking amazing, and it like. It reminds me of, like, some other games we've played where the reaction of the community has, like, even if people were like, oh, like, this game is, like, not very good, the reaction of, like, the broader community to, like, make all this art and all of these, like, illustrate these, like, funny scenes Mm. has actually made, endeared me to the game and the characters that much more. Agreed, yeah. You are my dad. You're my dad. You're my dad. (laughs) Uh, What, like, (laughs) seriously, like, you know, there's that big scene where you find Hank on his his kitchen floor with the loaded gun he's been playing Russian roulette. There's stuff like that. It's like, okay, that's, you know, your big red flag suicidal stuff. But, like, the things that really stood out to me as interesting about, like, the way they portrayed him as suicidal was things like he doesn't wear a seatbelt in his car. Connor does, but Hank does not. Yeah. And it's like, it's those little moments of I'm not, I don't have it in me to pull the trigger, but I'll, I, I won't. I won't put my silk belt in and whatever happens, happens. It's those little things that are like, yeah, mm, that, that. Hoping death comes to yeah, you. Yeah, ho- hoping death yeah. comes to you. That's it. And I thought that was really well handled. Yeah. They weren't too o- over the top I... with it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, as something that, like, I think, uh, just of, like, of the themes that I have more personal experience with, I really, I don't know. I liked how they handled that. It didn't feel, it didn't feel melodramatic and like drama for drama's sake. Like it actually felt like we are portraying a person who is very sad. And like, these are realistic things that somebody would do. Not just like, you know, a drunken soliloquy, but. Oh, oh, I've just. I think, uh, I think him. Uh, I've just remembered one other thing that stood out is. Uh, during that chase across the rooftops where he ends up like hanging off the roof he asks for help he screams yes. he says like you know come help me he wants it's those moments that really flesh oh, him out yeah. it's like it's when when it push comes to shove he doesn't want to die even if he feels suicidal it's like that is oh. such a good point i i, I uh, there's so many really nice bits about how that's handled oh i think there was a scene i saw a cl- like a gif of it where uh, I think you remember when that one android rips out Connor's heart of sorts? Yeah, yeah. And you can call out yes. to Hank for help. There's a scene where that I didn't see. I don't know how to get it. Where Hank will come and be like, "It's okay, son. I'll like, I'll fix. I'll fix <gasps> oh! this." And he's holding him. Oh gosh. I don't know how to get that scene, but I was like, "This gift is ruining it, my life." Uh, <laughs> really added a lot of like stuff to the end of my Connor and Hank path in that you know when that like two Connors scene happens and Hank is there like hey yeah. just look just sacrifice me do what you've got to do say save these androids 
and I didn't, and I managed to get him out of that alive. It was like, oh, it just added a little bit of extra weight from the, like, n- that he was happy to have survived that scene. I'm like, oh, ugh. I know. I love this game. It's it's um, it's kind of shitty in places, but yeah. I love it. I'm yeah. glad that David Cage took on some other people to help him write. Um, you know, he has I don't know, he you know, people have complaints about him in the workplace and, you know, that's valid and I, you know, his history with Ellen Page and she was like, "Listen, don't put my tits in the fucking game." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, put her put her tits in the game." You know, fucking douchebag mm. move. Um, but I do want to give credit to his impact on storytelling in the industry, even though Indigo Prophecy and Heavy Rain were, like, dumb and garbage. At the time, they were revolutionary for the industry and did a lot towards making games mm. want to be That's... more story-driven because people responded to that so positively. That's... So he went for things nobody yeah. else was going for there's, at the time. So I appreciate that. There's still Go there's ahead. still no one else in this industry going for big AAA uh, cinematography like interactive movie type experience like this. Like you've got stuff like Telltale and and Don't Nod with Life is Strange, but you've not got anyone else doing it on this kind of big blockbuster scale. And as yeah. much as I might dislike things about David Cage or have complaints about his games. There's still no one that quite does these kind of games on the scale with the polish that that Quantic Dream do, and until there's someone else that does that, I'm not going to be able to help the fact that like this kind of game is totally my jam, and it really scratches yeah. an itch. Like every time one of these games come round, it comes around. I know I'm going to enjoy it to some degree, and that I'm gonna find myself driven to just like power through it and i want to see it i want more people to make games like this so that i can play fewer of cages i wish i had more options that weren't david cage for this kind of game one thing i think he understands about video games and like i get it he keeps trying to make movies and stuff like but i think he understands that even though like those really stupid like prompts that we do we're like hold l and whatever just doing that small thing and having control over choices does have a power that no other medium yeah. has. Like yeah. movies, like, TV, books, uh, audiobooks, as... whatever. It has a power that no other medium has. And it even just the smallest bit of interaction mm. can make you feel connected to that character in a way even, that no other medium can yeah. make you feel. Even, even if people will laugh at the, like, press X to end slavery or whatever, there's still, like, yeah, there's yeah. still a bunch of power to, I am watching a group of, of oppressed minorities walk down a street and I have to decide what is our message? What do we, like, how do we simplify our point and and like what are, what are we gonna say in this moment like that that's still a powerful thing to have that put upon you with a timer and go make a choice make this count it's yeah i think that what was also interesting is that um in talking about like how he makes you kind of like accountable for your choices is like there are several times where um in the protest scene and also in the scene with Kara uh, at the getting into the bus terminal, 
where you are given the option several times, like do this or don't do this or don't. And you're presented with the choice like multiple times. Like, do you want to do it? No. What about now? And like, what I think that kind of does for the player is it kind of reinforces that not every choice is like, Oh no, I'm not going to be violent in my protest. It's like, no, you're going to have to make that choice like 20 different times that you don't want to be violent yeah. because every, and like it, cause in real life, every moment you're making that decision over and over and over again. Yeah. It's not just like you press a button and then it's peaceful. Well, that's... Like you have to continuously yeah. confirm the decision. Yeah. So like, yeah, I've watched playthroughs of that first protest, a peaceful protest scene where someone will go peaceful. Some people get shot peaceful. Some more people get shot. Then they run. And that, that's, suddenly yeah. a much more interesting choice when it's like ha- you then have to start asking yourself as a player how much was i willing to lose before i went no this cost is too high. i i can't i can't give up this much for that choice like it's interesting to to, yeah. to reevaluate choices yeah i would like to um point out that you know usually david cage i respect that he tries to do this where, like, he was like, yeah, I t- spoke to some female friends, and they say they get sexually assaulted a lot. <laughs> and, like, I guess his interpretation was, have all the female characters get sexually assaulted all the time because I want to validate that that happens. Or something like that. That's his version. I don't know what the real version is, but I'm going to choose to believe him in this moment. Because other people have differing opinions about that. Um, I think that I appreciate that he tries to do that. And I also like that in this game, North... She's able to love again, but she's able to love again in her own way because I feel like if she were to ever have have sex, like, I don't know what how androids interpret uh, physical sex, but she's able to have an intimate and romantic relationship with someone else without having to do it in the way that humans would do it because mm. she, she can have that intimacy with Marcus in her own way, on her own terms in a way that she would feel comfortable and I thought that was cool and that, you know, I don't know. I just, I liked North's storyline a lot and you can really feel her guardedness and how, like, she was like, no, the first thing we should do is, like, kill everybody and you're like, North, no, but then you're like, I understand why you feel that way. Like, she has her reasons because, in my opinion, her role as an android was a lot more traumatic and uncomfortable and terrible than all the other roles the androids had because other androids were like we should be peaceful and other androids like we should be fearful and she was like no we have to kill them because that was the way she had to escape from her Mm. control and like if you see the other androids the other the lesbian androids the only way they could escape was to was to kill to kill someone because they're put in a situation where they're not only slaves, they're sex slaves, and like well, and they're being murdered, and they're being murdered for fun, yeah. And uh, I think that from the the position of sex androids, and a lot of people were like, "I'm so glad that there's male androids at this sex club," and I was like, "Guys, they're all sex slaves. <laughs> like, let's not be happy about anything that's happening here. Like, I don't care that they're male or female." Like, this is not the place to be like, yes, feminism. No, I, yeah. no, I think that the uh, that's 
No, I think that what they more meant was like I think that they were glad that the game chose to depict like everybody and not just have it be about titillating with women ah, okay. with women's bodies. I think that it was more meant like let's show that this society is like that's that they're horrible to everybody mm-hmm. as opposed to just making it like oh let's show off a bunch of like naked women. Yeah. I think that it was really I think they did a good job of like depicting different versions of people in bad situations and how they would react to that. Yeah. For One, sure. Cuz North and the lesbots, you know, they chose to be violent and that was their only option, I in my opinion. Oh, indeed. And but, yeah, okay. I totally stand by those choices that that those two made in the positions they were in. Um so again, not to say that like it was a good pl- the sex pl- robot place was a good place to do battles about feminism and things, but just like putting that issue aside for for a second, one thing that like weirdly jumped out to me and I was kind of happy about in spite of the yeah these are sex slaves thing was you see uh, you know when you're like jumping between sex robot to sex robot using them as CCTV cameras yeah you see multiple different examples of differing and same-sex people looking at robots. So you see men and women looking at male and female sex robots. And you don't... So there are multiple examples... I saw multiple examples of men looking at male sex robots, and they didn't do the thing where it's like, oh, it's it's all of the creepy-looking skeezy men, or it's all of the, oh, suave, like, hot buff men looking at the male sex robots. You got a mix of both. You had all kinds of people having gay sex. And that was just like a weird thing I noticed where I was like, this whole scene is kind of skeevy. This is unconsensual sex robots kind of thing going on. But I'm 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 glad that it's not homophobic. I'm glad that all of the the people can have same sex sex and some of them might be a bit gross, some of them might be sexy. Whatevs, they can all have gay sex. A complaint that I saw and I think is valid is that people didn't have the option for Marcus to fall in love with Simon or even just a non-woman, you know, or non-shaped like a woman android where, um, you know, he could have fallen in love with Simon and people felt like they had a a bigger connection. And, you know, I think it would have been cool if, that was an option or if at least one of the lead characters didn't have a i don't know just one of the main characters being able to have that option i i would have been interesting and fun yeah i agree with you i'm honestly just thankful for the lack of blatant outright homophobia the fact that the homophobia didn't pop up i'm like it's a shame we didn't get more gays but we got we had some gays show up and the old guy that looked like he would be a homophobe wasn't a homophobe about it. In fact, it was actually like quite a positive experience for him to see some gays. I'm going to call that a win. And at least in our playthrough, neither of them died. Yay! Yeah. They both they can- lived. Well, as soon as I saw them hold hands, I was like, they need to be yes, protected. They can- Nobody they hurt can them. They can both die. Yeah. If you shoot one of them, the other commits suicide. Because if you're going to have one day, you've got to have all the dead gays. Oh. But... I also had oh, living God. gaze. <laughs> yes. No, I, I was, like, so careful. I was like, okay, they're beating up Connor. How do I, like, balance this so, like, we don't hurt them, but Don Connor doesn't die? Yeah. It was, like, real. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so. 
Uh, well, did you have any other thoughts before we wrap up? Um, I suppose overall, like a, a couple of a couple of like last closing thoughts. I'm glad that the the one non-white playable character was the one to lead the revolution. You know, I, I'm I'm yes. glad. Yeah, yeah and that that was always his thing. That like you know, Kara didn't come in at the last minute and be like, "And I shall help." It is my revolution now. Like I'm glad that it's like no, the yeah, the yeah. the non-white revolutionary gets to be the revolutionary, and like that felt important. Well. And Connor helps, but his part is also very much like after the fact and very, it's still very secondary to what Marcus does. No, I also, you know, what I liked about Connor is that he was working for the man and he like blames himself and he's like, I'm sorry, like this is my fault. And Marcus is like, no, dude, it wasn't like you were a slave to the system and like, you had to break free. He and he like, uses his inst- like, and now you know he uses his institutional power in order to help the uh, the the revolution to get its aims. He uses the fact he's in a position of yeah. power to go and go. Hey, I'll screw with the people in control so that you have a better chance of having your revolution. Now you go be the face of the revolution. It's not my my thing to be up front and center of. No, I just I really liked uh, Connor's. Uh, situation where he was like working for the man but then him and Hank both go like you know we're working for the police and you know technically what's happening is illegal but it doesn't mean it's wrong and I think we should both like fight against this and like I think that we're the ones in the wrong and we should be helping and not fighting you know what I mean like I thought that was an interesting thing because the whole time it's like, okay, you have to track these androids down and, like, you kind of have to hinder Kara and you have to hinder Marcus. But, you know, you can fight against your own programming, yeah. I guess. Um, Even Hank. What, one other thing that I had a chuckle at that I just wanted to mention. Part of me is convinced that when they started development on this game, they were convinced that Hillary Clinton was going to be president of the United States because President oh, President yeah. Warren is clearly Hillary Clinton. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, like you. I was like, girl, why are you gonna be? Mount- You're the first woman president, and you bring back camps. Like, yeah, you made us look. No, bad. as it turns out, if we look at reality, it's actually yet another white guy president that brings back camps. Uh, uh, everyone go com- go complain yeah. and make a stink because there's kids being ripped away from their parents in america right now Should probably do something about that messed up yeah yeah immigrant kids are being put into camps but the thing i and, the uh, thing i yeah cool. the thing i saw today was like they were lying to parents of kids and going hey we need to go give your kid a bath and like 15 minutes later the parents would twig my kid is not coming back like yeah it's really messed yeah, up don't fucking do that america it's messed up so yeah, video games. Final thoughts? <laughs> um yeah. yeah i i think it's a step this game is a step in the right direction for quantic dream and for david cage like it is easily the, the game of of theirs that i can recommend with the fewest caveats they're trending in a good direction yes. And I've already recommended it to a couple people, and you know I think that as long as you you know, the the game there are things the game could have done better, but like what game 
I, I don't think there is a game that I would recommend without being like, oh, but keep this in mind, X, Y, Z, you know? Because, you know, one thing that I really wish that more people could do is to realize that it's okay to criticize the things that you like. That, like, even though we really enjoyed playing this game, I really like this game, it's still okay to sit there and say, yeah. here's what could have been done differently or what could have been could have been done better. Yeah. Like, that just because you criticize something doesn't mean that you hate it. And that just because you criticize something doesn't mean that you're criticizing the people yeah. who liked and, it. And, and just because mm-hmm. you love something or enjoy something doesn't mean that you are blind to its criticisms. Like... You can, you know, people aren't black and white. It's okay to love some things about a game and be critical about it, and to go, "I love it," but, and for that to be like, a, yeah, we can hold contradicting opinions as people, and especially people like us, where we have more than just like our circle of friends listening to us. Like, you know, I love Dragon Age Origins, but there's no choice to be anyone but like all from white skin to olive skinned in Dragon Age Origins. And I remember t- showing my friend and being like, look at this game, it's so fun. And she's like, oh, okay, can you make one look like me? And I was like, no, I can't. <laughs> I, I just realized I can't do that. Uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and then I was like, wait a second. And then people were like, well, there just weren't any black people in like medieval. I was like, first of all, this is a fake world. And people can shoot lightning out of oh their my ass. God. So if you can shoot eye lightning out of your ass, you can. Be oh my black. god! My right. favorite. Ex- and so they fixed it in later games. But... My favorite example of this recently is Assassin's Creed Odyssey, where people are complaining that you can be gay in that game, and I'm like, what? It's set in ancient yep. Greece. That's like the gayest place and time there was. It really is. There was. That's where the liter- That's where the word lesbian comes from. Is Greece? It is. Yeah. The island of Lesbos. <laughs> I mean, and they actually promoted relationships between, like, men because they thought that you'd fight harder for somebody that you were involved yeah. with. There was an entire battalion of just gay men who were so good at fighting because they were going into war with their lover. Exactly. Yeah. Like, that's how gay yeah, Greece Gates was. was really, Greece was really gay. Like, Stop <laughs> complaining about historical accuracy. You don't care. You just don't like the gays and the non-white peoples. Fuck yourselves. But the thing is, though, the important thing about... Um, trying to like love a game and all to criticize it is that in dragon age 2 and dragon age 3 they fixed the issue of in dragon age 2 they added like being able to look asian black hispanic and all that stuff and your family could look like the same race as you and stuff and then people were like oh well like you know that's great but like there's a lack of ethnic hair and then like in dragon age 3 they added it and these are people who love the game and want the game to succeed and if you don't say anything and be like, oh, well, if you like the game, you can't complain. Those improvements never would have happened. Yeah. So these are from people who care. And, like, if you care about a game and, like, give feedback, the developers can hear you and go, oh, yeah, like, you know what? I didn't even think of that. That's a good suggestion. We'll add that to the next one. Be vocal both about what you love and what you hate at once in the same place so that the people who make it can go, Oh, okay, so this is someone who's a fan who does want to like our things and, you know, is on our side. Oh, but they're being critical of those things. That's when they'll take things on mind. 
Yeah. Yeah, and that's why it's important to say, I love these things, and I didn't like these things, and it's a good thing. Like, we love Life is Strange, but we were like, hopefully in the next one, we can have more diversity and yes. less of this and more of that and like maybe a gay male protagonist stuff like that and people will listen also looking at that little bit no. of trailer for captain spirit i'm totally ready for gay male protagonist because i'm betting that's what's going to happen because captains because that, that, so it ties into life is strange season two and all we've seen is male characters in, in the trailers for captain spirit so i'm i'm putting it down now we're going to get gay male protagonists are going to happen I hope so. But if that is about it for today, um, Laura, what, where can everybody find you on the internet before we yeah. say uh, bye? You can find me at Laura K. Buzz most places on the internet. Laura K. Buzz on Twitter. Laura K. Buzz on YouTube. Other than that, you can find me Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 at kotaku.co.uk. You can find me on Podquisition, which is a video game podcast I do with Jim Sterling and uh, Gavin Dunn, Miracle of Sound. You can also find me on Dice Funk, which is a 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Uh, every season is a self-contained story. I'm on seasons 3 and 4. Season 3 has us all, like, all the player characters are trapped in a big bubble. And you've got to work out how to get out. And I play a badass rocker tiefling bard. Season 4 is, like, present day. We're doing a bunch of heists and I play a Yu-Gi-Oh wizard dad who uses Yu-Gi-Oh cards to do magic <laughs> and just wants to be a good dad to his many, many kids. Uh, other than that, wow. uh, lastly, I'm on Queer and Pleasant Strangers, which is a podcast I do with Jane Magnet where we do skits and silly voices and we make up a bunch of silly things to do in various character voices and just try and make each other have a bit of a chuckle. So that's the things I do. And what about you, Mari? I can be found on the Geek Remix channel and on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Geek Blah 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 at Geek Remix. Don't put that blah blah in. <laughs> and then uh, I'm Stacy. You can also find me on the Geek Remix YouTube channel and uh, at Geek Remix a lot on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. Stacy is an Instagram model, by the way. <laughs> she does cosplays. And also shows off her muscles. Yes. So if you like, if you like muscles, if you like muscles and cosplay, also yeah, pretty, follow us. That's pretty also much make it. sure you check out the uh, first chapter of Paranormal that all three of us are, have characters based on us in. Oh, oh yeah! yeah, we forgot. <laughs> we forgot. We're, we're all in that. We're all in a video game, and you can date us. Chapter 2 is coming out soon. Yeah, I, I, I saw uh, the text being written for Chapter we'll 2 recently. Posting. That was pretty cool. Chapter 2 looks like it's going to be a riot. Yep, so you can find Paranormal on Itch.io. I know that the first chapter is free. It's available both on PC and on Mac. Yeah. Now. Yeah, all so. profits go to the to Tess, who is the creator and did all the work. So all yeah, profits we, go to her. We pretty much just were like, you can put us in yeah. it. And then we were like... All right, but you have to make us all mentally ill. Yeah. Yeah, but they're doing a really good job of making <laughs> because us. Because we are yeah, in real they, life. they do a good yeah. job with it. Yeah, so we we were like, here's like, yeah, she gave us a questionnaire. Like, what are your, like, things that you do? Laura, you had a, what did you have? Um, so my character has autism. And as such, there are some things like they have a stimming bracelet on that they chew when they're nervous, for example. And... That is a really cool depiction of mental health stuff, so go check that out.
Woo. And my character, you know, like, I don't like people touching my stuff because I freak out. And uh, I also tell everyone they have to drink water yeah. all the time. Because if they don't drink water, they're going to die. <laughs> and Stacy, you're just buff. I'm buff and I like cheese. Yeah. <laughs> I'm bipolar, but I don't think that's come, actually come up yet. Although we do, like, the... <coughs> there, well, I don't want to spoil anything. But... You should really check it out. It's on Itch.io. Yeah, so. it's about friendship. The power of friendship. Yeah. I liked the way Tess wrote it. Uh, now, today is actually the paranormal spoiler cast. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, anyways, thank you all so much for stopping by, and we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye.